This is the Dare to Dream Physician Travel Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Waylee Gray. Hey, you know how many physicians today are feeling overwhelmed and trapped living that busy and unfulfilling life? Yet more than ever, we as physicians are keenly aware that life is precious and tomorrow is not guaranteed to anyone. My mission is to help physicians start living their best life now by discovering and achieving their wildest travel dreams. So come, join us on this journey. Welcome back to another episode of the Dare to Dream Physician Travel Podcast. I am really excited to bring this guest again on the podcast. I had interviewed Dr. Elisa Jang probably two years ago on my podcast, and I'll refer to the three episodes that from our interview back then, I'll put it in the show notes so you can listen to that because it's really valuable as well. But it also turns out that Dr. Elisa is a avid traveler, and, and because she is is also a money coach, I I wanted to bring her on and talk about a topic that's near and dear to my heart, which is how do you balance travel and your finances? And she has gone on a lot of really amazing trips in the past year. Um, But the one that I'm going to have her talk about is yet another trip report from Iceland. We just did one in the last episode with Dr. Param. This one is going to be very different. So it gives you ideas of how two doctors can go to Iceland and have a very different experience. So you'll get to hear even more about Iceland in this episode. Welcome to the podcast again, Dr. Lisa. Thanks so much for having me back. I love your podcast. So it's great to be on it again. So Dr. Lisa, most of our listeners probably have already heard of you, especially if they heard the previous three episodes we did together. Um, But give us a quick introduction on who you are, what kind of doctor you are, and what do you do to help other doctors? Yeah, so I am an acroplastic surgeon, and currently I work part-time at Illinois Eye Clinic in Peoria, Illinois, while living in the east suburbs of Cleveland, Ohio. So I do fly to work, but it gives me a lot of flexibility and allows me to travel even more than I ever had before. So I do love that. I'm also a life and money coach for physicians. So I really help physicians with their mindset around money, on how to grow wealth, on where they're at, as well as things even like career transitions or looking at their job and making changes, how they can cut back at work and still enjoy life and and pay for life. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. And I think what I love about what you do is you know, you, you work with doctors, you sort of help them get over the fear of some of the technical aspects of personal finance um, and investments. Um, but you also help them with, I think, an equally important piece, which is the mindset, how we think about it, how we look at it, the um, the confidence that we have, you know, when we approach it. And so you sort of address it holistically, because I think both are, are so important. Oh, thank you for that. So yeah, let's let's dive in. I want to hear I definitely want to hear about this Iceland trip that you took, but I also you want to start with this topic of which I think is a common challenge that doctors have when it sort of comes to finances, when it comes to travel, which is, you know, how do we decide how do we balance our finances and travel? You know, it can get confusing because it's like, well, do we just you know, do do we prioritize investing for in retirement or do we prioritize living in the now and, and spending money on travel? How, how do we balance it? How do we even think about it and kind of ask ourselves the questions to make decisions? 
Yeah. We sometimes forget as physicians that we actually make a lot more than the average American household. And the average American household is able to kind of provide all the needs. And a lot of times we also make a lot more than what we had growing up. So, and, you know, our, our families were able to provide as well. So when it comes to, you know, you can look at, um, FOMO, if you're missing out or YOLO, like you only live once, like it's really a balance. You do want to put aside money for, for your future you to be happy, right? So your future you can travel. So your future you, you know, doesn't have to keep working because even though you may love being a physician and working, there's going to be a time where when you're 60, 70, 80, 90, at some point, it's, it's not going to be something you want to probably have to continue doing. If you can and want to, that's great but you want to have the option of being able to step back or being able to stop, especially, you know, as a surgeon, I know there's going to be a point where just my dexterity might make it so that it's, it's time to call it over anyways, but also enjoying life now, right? Because as we all know, not tomorrow is not even a promise to us. You never know what can happen and things we do see young people, unfortunately, you know, leave the earth a little too early. So being able to enjoy today while preparing for the future, preparing for our future selves to have a beautiful life while we're having a beautiful life now. And so I think it just takes a little bit of planning, planning that you're going to, you know, choose whatever amount or percentage of your income you're going to invest for the future. You're going to invest to building wealth and what percentage of your income uh, or whatever dollar amount that you're going to use to enjoy life right now figure out like what works for you. And I think it also goes down to really thinking about like spending where your values are. So there are a lot of times where I think we as physicians think like, oh, we we should be driving a nice car. I'm a physician. Like I can't be you know, driving a beater. It's like, well, why not? Who says that physicians need to drive nice cars? Like I drive a Honda Civic. I'm very happy in my Honda Civic. And, you know, it's a nicer Honda Civic. It does have leather seats. You can heat up the seats in winter, which I really love that that particular um, aspect of it. But it is a car I bought as an attending. And I went and test drove like Audis and Mercedes-Benz. And I just couldn't justify. I mean, I was like, yeah, this car might be a little bit more fun to drive, but not at two to three times the monthly payment. That just doesn't make sense to me. I want a reliable car that's going to get me from point A to B that's comfortable. And that's what I got. And so that gives me more money to spend on other things. So I think really kind of looking at like, am I spending this because society thinks I should, because my parents think I should? Do I want this because it really brings value to my life? Or is there something in me that thinks like, this is just something I should have? Mm, I love that point. And it resonates so much with me. And I was laughing on the inside when you brought up the example of the car, because there was this moment, maybe it was a few years ago, but I still drive the same car as an attending. I left clinic a little bit late that night and the cleaning lady, this is one of the, I, I work in two sites. So this is the site where it's like the standalone clinic. So we're in the parking lot, it's, I had the only car that's left over and the cleaning lady. So I went out to my car and I'm like, why are there two of my cars? I and, and I currently and at the time was driving a Honda Pilot. So it's not I mean, it's certainly not a bad car, especially at the time, it was kind of fairly new. But I was like, why? And it was the same color. It was like a blue Honda Pilot. And I'm like, why are there two cars? And then it took me a while, but it finally occurred to me, the cleaning lady and I have the same exact car. <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with that. 
I no, I actually I, I just laughed and I'm sure she laughed. And it turns out that, you know, I noticed that like every six months or so she has a different car because again, you know, it's it's a standalone parking lot, so I can just kind of see her car. And so she she's probably someone that rents cars, right? Like a lot of people do that. But anyway, I'm still driving the same exact car. Now my car is about six years old and I'm proud of driving it. And I actually laugh at the, you know, expectation that doctors should drive nicer cars, partly probably because I live in Vermont and the roads are really tough and there's snow banks. I just got stuck in the snow bank with my car. And I, if I was driving a, a Porsche, it probably would hurt a little bit more the, the expense of fixing it. But, but that's exactly it. I don't have more joy in driving a more expensive car. I just want one. I have leather seats on mine too. I did get the slightly higher trim for a bit more money. And I have, you know, the power doors in, in, in the back. But I'm like, this is luxury for me. Like the power, you know, heated leather seats and, and the door that will just open on its own in the back. I'm like, this is, this is great. And yet, you know, I, in the last year, year plus, since I decided to start traveling the world, I really challenged myself to, to make an uncomfortable budget for travel. Like, in fact, I didn't even start with a budget because I was in the previous season of my life. I didn't really spend money on much. So I had, you know, prioritized a lot of, you know, saving and investing. And, and, and so then when I sort of decided now this is a new chapter, like we want to try, you know, to travel and to travel far and travel the world. It was, you know, the first thing was I just wanted to get over my fear of traveling. So the first place we went was a very expensive destination was the U.S. Virgin Islands. And the, the vacation rental was a very expensive price tag. And I didn't even care because I'm like, we had not really traveled for two years. And so this what's the big deal on paying for something that's a little bit expensive for 13 days? But yet the last place that we went was our family rented for the entire month a, a vacation rental in Madeira, Portugal, which is also an island that's sort of in the middle of the Atlantic. So in a lot of ways had, aside from amazing snorkeling and, and that, because it's not as tropical, but in a lot of ways it had all the, the great things that I enjoyed about the U.S. Virgin Islands and a little bit more because there was a lot more hiking and sort of more nature activities. And, and yet the price of staying there for the whole month was probably like 60%, like almost half of what I had paid for the Virgin Island. And so there's also something said about where you go to travel. If you're like, Hey, I want to have the adventure of a lifetime. I want to, you know, go to these amazing places, experience amazing cultures, eat amazing food. You can absolutely do that. And, and with sort of being careful of the choices that you make of, you know, where you go. Yeah, certainly. Because I've been traveling internationally since actually undergrad. My uh, husband, who's my boyfriend back then, we went to France uh, for spring break one year, just the two of us. And and then all through medical school and grad school and residency fellowship, like since I love travel, we just made it a point. So there are a lot of great places you can go. Cambodia is such a great value destination. And yet the plane ticket to get there might be a bit more expensive. But once you're there, it's it's so cheap and you can have like such luxury for, you know, so little in Cambodia. Ecuador is super cheap. We had like a set meal for, I want to say a one US dollar where you got a drink, like a meat and and some starch and then a little dessert for like one dollar or a dollar fifty like US. It was amazing. Hmm. Yeah, I love these examples. And, and I think it gets to the idea of set the intention to travel first 
And don't let the budget scare you. Like we should have a budget, right? I mean, I don't think either Dr. Lisa and I are proponents of let's get into credit card debt so you can, you know, take the trip of your life because you only live once. But the really interesting thing is, you know, it really hit me when this travel catalog came and it actually came in the previous owner's name. So, you know, we, we've had our house now for over six years, but some of the old mail from the previous owner still come. And I saw this beautiful travel catalog and this company that I never heard of, I forget the name of it, but they sort of have all these different destinations. And it's kind of like this nice catalog where it's like, if you want to go to Ecuador or Peru, or, you know, these like really like Mongolia, all these cool places, they have an entry for it. But the funny part was I looked at the prices and I almost had a heart attack and including the island that I just, you know, my family had just spent the month in, in Madeira. I was like, oh, they have Madeira, Portugal, and that's where we're going. And I know how much we were paying for things. And I think the price tag for, you know, like a 10 day or 12 day trip was $7,000 per person. And that was, you know, I, I just, I was like, really, really? I mean, to go there? I mean, <laughs> this is, yeah. So, so just know that the intention to travel is more important. Same with Ecuador, same with some of these other examples that you give Cambodia, believe it or not, depending on who you get your quote from, you, you might, you know, the same person may be even experiencing the same five-star hotel and one person's maybe paying $40 a night and another person is paying $400 a night because they sort of contracted through this third-party travel agency or whatever it is. And so it's it's actually really, there, there's a huge variable there. There is something to be said about doing your research and trying to go as direct as possible and really just kind of setting the intention that I want to travel and not be turned off by some of the price tags that we may get, especially if you ask other physicians like, hey, you know, when you went to Ecuador, you know, what did you use? And they gave you this really fancy travel agency that's like based out of the US that's actually contracting with something locally. Yeah. And also, there are definitely ways to cut costs. I mean, it depends on how you're traveling. If you're traveling with your family with young kids, you're probably going to rent a car. And that is going to be the most cost effective way. But if you're traveling solo or with your uh, another adult, then you know, looking at public transportation, the in Europe, the train systems are great, the public transportation is great. And you can really get around and potentially save a lot of money by I, I mean, they even have really cheap airfare within Europe once you get to Europe. Absolutely. We just did that when, when we were in Madeira, we, right after Thanksgiving, the weekend after Thanksgiving, we went to Lisbon for the, the weekend. And yeah, the, the plane, actually, I think our plane tickets were kind of expensive, but it was like $120 per person. And that was, I think if I had booked it like six way in advance, it would have only been $60 per person round trip because it was EasyJet. It was one of the low budget airlines. But the thing is, I was actually really curious. I'm like, so is EasyJet going to be like Spirit Airlines in the US, you know, I was a little bit worried about it, but it was totally fine. It was actually really nice. They had some a la carte menu. So if you're really hungry, they weren't just going to give you food, you, you would have to buy it, but the prices were still reasonable. And the one thing is, if you wanted to take luggage, it would have cost probably like 50% of your flights to do that. But we didn't. All we needed was a backpack because it was a weekend trip. So yeah, to, to look at some of those other options. And even though we were actually traveling as a family of six at the time, we took the train, you know, from Lisbon to Sintra, which is like about an hour train ride. It was it was cheaper to take the train and it was actually kind of fun. So instead of getting an Uber and sitting in traffic, we actually enjoyed taking the train. 
I'm, I'm going to Portugal next year in April, so I'll, I'll uh, go from Lisbon and Sintra as well. But it's me and one other adult, so we'll definitely go around. But, you know, and sometimes you're going to splurge in order to have more autonomy and just be able to kind of get off the beam path. And then other times you get to actually kind of be more like a local, like how the people there live when you use things like their public transportation. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, in our trip to Taiwan, that I really got a sense of that because there were parts of that trip where my my dad's friend in Taiwan sort of helped us plan it. And he was sort of being a really gracious host. And he's like, here are these people coming from the US. And he booked us, you know, and he was with us on that part of the tour. So he kind of got us like the fanciest hotels. And one of the hotels I looked at the uh, in the end, when I looked at the price tag, I was like, Oh, my goodness, is it really worth it? I think that was like when I trend um, converted to US dollars, it was like over $1,000 per night for a hotel room at this you know nice, fancy five star hotel in Taiwan. Whereas the first hotel that we stayed at when we got to Taiwan, I think was like 40 US dollars and it fit all five of us in the room and it gave us free breakfast. And honestly, it wasn't fancy, but it was clean. And um, a lot of other local families were staying there. And it was in this location where you can just walk around in, I think that was in Taichung. So that was one of like, it was in Taipei, but it was one of the other cities in Taiwan. And it was so much fun. And honestly, I'm not really sure that I got that much more out of staying in the five-star hotel that like I could have stayed in this sort of mid-range, mid-budget hotel and for, you know, a whole month for the price that I, I would have to spend on a five-star hotel for one night. And I'm not really sure I, I enjoyed it more aside from just the luxury. I mean, it was, I mean, don't get me wrong. It was nice to have that luxury for that night and for the several nights when we were at the fancy five-star hotels, but it's sort of like a balance and what, what your values are, right? Same thing. Like, do you want to drive an Audi or do you want to, are you happy driving a Honda with leather seats that heat up? Yeah, a lot of times when I travel, I'm there for the destination and I'm really just using the hotel as a place to sleep. So depending on the situation, sometimes I want a hotel that just is a great location that's going to be near all the places I want to go to. And it just really needs to be clean and have a comfortable bed. You know, other times, if the point of that vacation is to lounge in luxury, then I'm not going to plan on exploring the city all day. I'm going to plan on just staying at the resort. So actually, when we went to Cambodia, we stayed at two different hotels. We stayed at you know a nice mid-range hotel that was clean and had a pool that we did use because it was super hot in Cambodia. But we spent most of our time kind of out and about. And then for the last two days, we went to like a boutique hotel that was like super nice, like, you know, and we got massages and we didn't go out. We just planned like we're just going to stay here and enjoy all the amenities of like we had a waterfall shower and then the, the tub was this huge stone tub and actually had a, like a waterfall that went in there. And, you know, the pool was like it had a swim up bar. And yeah, like we just didn't leave. We checked in and just stayed there. I love that example that you gave. And I think it's the perfect example. You really want to match what you intend to do with with the type of lodging you book. Because I'll tell you, you know, during our Taiwan trip, during some of the times we were in these, you know, expensive, fancy five-star hotels, but it was also the only day that they were, we were in the area. So I kind of felt stressed because I'm like, I want to enjoy the amenities of this expensive hotel, um, but I also want to see the area. And it was kind of stressful because I'm like, I'm not sure which one to do. And so I have learned um, after that, you know, like, for example, when I landed in Sydney, Australia, the first night, I'm like, I don't need to be at the five-star hotel in downtown. 
downtown Sydney. So I just got like a cheaper, more convenient、um, hotel near the airport. Where once the plane landed, we just got in there and took a shower and slept in a bed,、um, and that was really nice. And then the next day, we then took the train to get to like the fancy five star hotel, and that worked out perfectly, even you know budget wise and all. Yeah, and then also just looking like oh, like if you have a kitchen, can you now start to cook breakfast and lunch, and then go out for a fancy dinner? I mean, there are a lot of other ways to save money as well. You know, I love going to supermarkets when you're in foreign countries because then you actually get a real taste of like local food, right? What people are eating, cooking. Like most people aren't eating out for all their meals. Absolutely, yeah. I remember when I was in Eleuthera in that off the beaten path island in the Bahamas. So first of all, you know the Bahamas is pretty expensive, and I remember asking my diving instructor, "I'm like, do you recommend any places around here?" And I'm like, just kind of like where the locals go. And he's and he was like, "Well, there's this one place. It's fifty dollars a meal, fifty U.S. dollars." I'm like, really? <laughs> That's you know, it really wasn't the type of place I was looking for. He's like, "Well, we're in the Bahamas, so I, you know, so when we were there, we had a vacation rental, and it was more of a relaxing." Vacation, so we did quite a bit of cooking. And one of I remember going to the supermarket, and it's so like everything is so foreign. You know, there are all these different ingredients. And I actually flagged down. I think she was like either someone who worked there was maybe the owner. And I I pointed to all these different food items, and I said. Can you tell me a a dish that you guys that's like sort of maybe traditional or that's local? And I, I basically made her explain to me how to make rice and beans. You know, like their version of rice and beans. And I was like, well, well, what what spice should I get? You know, I basically like shopped the cart based on what she told me, and she told me what to do. And when I went home, I did it, and my kids loved the meal. And that was such a fun experience. I guess I could have. Maybe hired do the cooking class. I don't think that island actually offered anything like that. So this was the the closest experience that we could create from that. But that was fun, and that was a more satisfying meal than paying fifty dollars per person at a, at a restaurant. Yeah, and you can also like look to see like what kind of dips they have, like their. Different brands of different chips and how like that's different. I find that all really interesting and really budget friendly to do that, and also can give you a lot more flexibility. So a lot of times we'll like to actually put together a picnic and have it at you know a city park, and that makes for a really nice experience as well. That's awesome. I yeah, I loved everything you shared、um, about sort of budgeting and travel, and I think both of us sort of. Are of the the camp that the the budget should not get in the way of your desire to travel, and there are many ways to be able to travel to decrease your your expenses during travel, but that doesn't really take away from the experience of of travel. Yeah, I mean, the one thing I really plan to spend the money on is seeing the museums or whatever activities are in the area that I want really want to do. Like, I know you really want to hold a koala when you went to Australia. Like, I definitely that was definitely on my list too. So it was definitely like we are going to the koala sanctuary and I'm holding a koala. It was definitely worth it, and I think. That was, I think it was like ninety nine Australian, which is about sixty five US dollars, and that included the entrance to the whole sanctuary, holding the koala, getting the picture with the koala, and a really nice breakfast. I think it was a good deal.、Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, switching gears a little bit, you recently took a trip 
to Iceland. And as as you know, the last episode, we just interview a doc who also had this amazing time in Iceland. But what I understand is you had a very different kind of trip. And I just want to hear all about it. And plus, we know that Iceland is also one of those very expensive countries. And so I'd love to hear about your experiences there and how you made the how you made it a, a budget friendly experience. Yeah, so Iceland had been on my list for quite some time. My sister had gone to Iceland and she just absolutely loved it. And she told me, and she knows me well, she's like, you will love Iceland. You must go to Iceland. But it is definitely the most expensive European country that I've been to. And that includes Norway and Sweden, and which I've also been to. So what we decided to do was actually rent a camper van and go around the entire island. So I really wanted to see like all of, you know, all as much as we could of Iceland. And usually my trips really are very packed, like like wanting to see and do a lot of things. And I have been doing a lot of travel this year. So I often spend a lot of time planning my trips ahead of time, like really reading up on all the things to do. I make an itinerary that's very like from this time this year, and then we're going to travel from this place to this place. Yeah, it sounds like you're a really intense person to travel with. And I think you've shared in the past that your husband can get a little bit overwhelmed. <laughs> yes, I, I've learned that like sometimes it's like, okay, we're just sending him back to the hotel while I go to this museum. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I, I just like to see and do uh, everything when I'm traveling. So, but because of all the traveling I was doing this year, I, I didn't have the time to necessarily plan everything in advance. And with Iceland, like the tourism has become so popular that it's kind of out, the demand outpaces the supply. And so you really, from what I understand, need to book hotels like very far in advance. And I just, I didn't have enough time to be like, okay, I'm going to build a plan like exactly where we're going to stop all the way around. And so the solution to that to me was like, okay, we're going to do a camper van because because there are campsites all around Iceland and you don't need reservations for them. I mean, there are some campsites that will fill up, especially around uh, Reykjavik, especially when there's an event in Reykjavik, which we did run into. Um, but a lot of campsites don't even allow reservations or you can call like the, that morning of to say that you're arriving that evening and like that and hold a spot. But that's as much as a reservation. And there are many different campsites around and so this felt like a great way for us to be able to be flexible in our itinerary. Also, like Iceland is, for me, an outdoor adventure. There's going to be a lot of hiking involved. And so depending on the weather, we may or may not do a hike that's planned. If it's pouring rain, that hike is not going to be nearly as fun. So we may skip a, a longer three or four hour hike and choose to go do something else. And that might put us in a different place. And so I didn't want to have to be like, oh, but our hotel is here um, nice. because like it's a it's a fairly big island. And I don't want to be like driving back and forth anchored because of where our hotels were. So yeah, that was the great thing about the, the camper van. And then we don't have to actually like move all our luggage into a room and then back. Like it was just always with us all the time, which is also really nice. And it was actually quite easy to drive. Um, driving Iceland, the, the roads were quite good. They drive on the right side of the road. The Icelandic words are a little difficult to pronounce and look at, but you know, we just used GPS like Google Maps and it was fine. Our camper van actually came with Wi-Fi in the camper van. So we had unlimited Wi-Fi available when we were in the camper van. It also came with like this a tablet that also had a map type system that we did use it, but in the end, I think we probably used Google Maps just a, a little bit more. 
Nice, nice. That's one of the things in retrospect, in, in our last year of travel, we went to a lot of island island destinations. And especially when you have, I mean, Australia, I guess, technically is an island continent. So that doesn't count. That's a really big island. But even Iceland, or we were in Madeira, like, when the weather is not good, then drive to another part of the island. But the cool thing about an island is that the weather is really variable depending on your location or your elevation. So yeah, that's that's a nice hack. And you, you're right. Like with the with the camper van, you you can you can go wherever. You don't have to worry about you know where your hotel is and having to drive back to that hotel. Yeah, and we also got、uh, local SIM cards. So I got a SIM card. Ahead of time, that was like a eSIM card already for my phone. So as soon as we were in the airport, I knew that we would already have internet access. But for my husband's phone, his phone was older, so he couldn't do an eSIM card. So I looked up how to get a SIM card when we got to Iceland, and so I found a blog or something that was like very specific, like oh, there's this convenience store. It's green. Like as soon as you leave, like and so we just went there. And actually, I'm really glad I looked it up ahead of time because you would never have known that they sold SIM cards. I couldn't see them actually in the Convenience store, but I just went up and asked, like, "Oh, do you have SIM cards?" And they're like, "Oh, yep." And they just like took them out and like showed the different SIM cards. And so I think for around twenty, I don't know, it was twenty euros, twenty US dollars, but they're almost the same, anyways. We were able to get, I think it was like five gigabytes of data, but also unlimited local texts and calls within Iceland, which、mm-hmm. actually worked out well because I would actually call campsites to reserve ahead of time. That's really that's really affordable, and so I don't think you shared with us how long you were actually you know doing this camper van trip. Yeah, we were there for a little over two weeks. Can't remember exactly how many days at this point, but yeah, nice. And so, tell us some of the the highlights, some of your favorite parts of the trip. I, I, you know, I, I am so excited、um, about Iceland, and to, I'm glad that you mentioned that some of the things about Iceland is that the the sort of the demand for tourism has sort of outgrown their infrastructure. So that is one of the things that worry me, and and、uh, admittedly, that's one of the reasons why I haven't booked a trip to Iceland yet. So, so I'm very like my ears are definitely perking up. That I was actually planning on doing a, a motorhome trip through Iceland. If when when we find cheap tickets to go, so I'm super excited to hear about what your favorite parts are. Yeah, so we did the entire Ring Road. We did not go to the Westerfjords. It's really recommended to have four wheel drive if you go there. And there probably are camper vans that do have four wheel drive, but we did not get a four wheel drive camper van. And there are debates. So I read a bunch of blogs, and so there are some people that say to go clockwise, and other people say to go counterclockwise. And we went clockwise. So the the debate of going counterclockwise is the most popular parts of Iceland to see. The more most tourist parts are in the south, and so you're going to fly in, you're going to fly into Reykjavik. And then if you go to the south, that's going counterclockwise. So some people say like, "Oh, see the big sites first, and then you'll get used to the area. And then as you keep going, you'll you'll understand more of like how things work, and you'll feel more comfortable in the areas that are less touristy." And then the argument for going clockwise is that well, you'll start with the less touristy, and you'll you'll build up to like grander and grander sites. I think. I think more place, more blogs actually recommend the counterclockwise versus clockwise. But I think the first blog that I was really reading was clockwise, so I kind of went with that, and then and then I kind of saw the other blogs to to see were there other things to fill in. I was like, well, I've already decided direction. We're just going to go this way. So yeah, we did the whole entire Ring Road as well as gosh, I want to say the Snæfellsjökull Peninsula, but I know I'm like totally butchering <laughs> the name of that peninsula、um, out there. And and then we also went to the Westerman Islands. We took a Ferry、uh, down south to the Westerman Islands, so we really saw the entire like 
ring around it and went inland a few places, though not into the areas that, again, require a four-wheel drive. And so we started out in Reykjavik in the beginning. And one of the things was that we just serendipitously, the the trip was planned and the tickets purchased before there was the active volcano. Mm -hmm. And so when the volcano activity first came up, it was like, there was a little bit of anxiety, like, oh my God, is this going to stop us from being able to go? And luckily it didn't, but it actually presented this great opportunity. So one of my favorite things about the trip is we actually got to do, and we hiked in Volcano. We actually mm-hmm. saw volcanoes like spurting out or lava spurting out of the volcano. It was a favorable day. So we actually were able to walk up to the magna that was just flowing down and, and see it flow. Now, technically, they said that the, we went to an area that was technically deemed as quote not safe but like there were a lot of <laughs> there were a lot of people there and, and 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 it's interesting with Iceland I mean they literally had a parking lot like set up for this they had uh rangers they had a map they had like trails like I mean it, it felt like very organized so we actually did book a a, a like tour for this because like I didn't know all this information but Interestingly, as I was posting on my Facebook about being Iceland, other people were like, oh, we're going to be there next week. So I started sharing all the information. Well, if you want to go to the volcano, like this is how you can, like, if you have a rental car, like it's actually really easy to do on your own. Like here are the coordinates for the parking lot. Like here's the map. There's going to be a big map in there. There's rangers to ask any questions. (laughs) And the thing is like, it's all monitored. So depending on the direction of the winds, they may actually close off the area because the the winds are bringing the poisonous gases towards the, the roads that you can hike on to get to the volcano, then they'll actually close the whole area off. Um, so it actually felt like very safe. And and we were told like this was a very friendly volcano. So we had an amazing time. And I was glad that we were able to kind of shift things around in our itinerary to still make it happen. And I think part of that of having a camper van is that it is easy to do that, right? Because we didn't, we weren't stuff like, oh, wait, like we have to get here by this time to like be at this hotel. Awesome. Well, as you say that, I'm like, I know somebody who actually would purposely go to Iceland when there is this news of a a volcano erupting. And that's my mom. (laughs) My mom, my mom, actually, I think, I think the plane tickets actually get a little bit more expensive when the volcano erupts, because there are like volcano chasers. And apparently, you know, my mom, who's in her mid 70s, is now one of them. (laughs) So so she, I think almost went, she actually was in Greenland at the time, but she wanted to go to Iceland to, to like literally to, you know, take advantage of the fact that you can hike near the lava fields. <laughs> Did she make it? She's tried it. She, I think she's gone to like Iceland five times. I mean, okay. obviously without me, but um, yeah. I have not been, but I don't think she made it to the most recent one, but she's like literally always looking at the news and saying, oh, is it time? And she has like a friend or a couple of friends that, you know, would travel with her and would do the driving, but there are, there are people out there who do that. So I was kind of laughing when you're like, yeah, it should be safe. I'm like, I hope it is because my mom is good, wants to go. Yeah, I think a lot of people do go. So like they really set up the infrastructures. It was very organized. It was amazing. <laughs> That's so cool. So hiking on an active volcano and being able to actually see that the lava spinning out, that sounds like a really amazing thing and, and kind of like a once in a lifetime thing. You have to be at the right place at the right time to see something like that. Yeah, we were totally lucky for that. <laughs> What other what other things like did you find were were the highlights? And I I think I would count just a camper van, right? Like yeah. just driving in a camper van in this amazing beautiful land of fire and ice like is is also just another really cool thing. 
Yeah. I mean, their campsites are very different from the US. There's no like privacy. There's not like you're you're not like scattered like far from each other. Like it, it, you can literally have like a like some places is literally like a grassy lot. But the nice thing is that that a lot of them actually have like cooking facilities. So you can actually so our camper van actually came with the cooking facilities so we could cook within the van. Like sometimes it was just nicer to actually cook in the camping facilities cooking area, just more space. And some have really gorgeous public areas where there were lots of outlets and places to sit and you could talk with other people and find out what other people are doing and what other people are seeing. So really like a nice sense of community. And there's even like different condiments on the table. It's kind of like, you know, people when they're done with something, they can just leave something there. So we actually did go grocery shopping in Iceland and and we did cook several meals we ate out sometimes. They just depended on uh, what we're doing. We we had a lot of picnic lunches because we also did a lot of hiking. So another highlight was actually one blog called it the Way of the Waterfall Hike. I, I don't <laughs> I don't know what the official name of this hike is, but it's literally like so many waterfalls. You just as, as you're hiking, it's one waterfall after another after another. Like every ten to twenty minutes, you're seeing other waterfall and. Actually, it didn't start amazing weather. So when we woke up, the sky was gray. And I was like, I was like, oh, that sucks. Like, I would have really liked nice weather. So we instead of doing the hike right in the beginning of the day, what I did was I went to a nearby museum and then the weather actually got better. And then we started the waterfall hike and it, it uh, the skies cleared up. It became like amazing blue skies and you can and it's a in and out hike so at any point you can decide like okay i've had enough and like come back out but we made it all the way to like the end of like the waterfall hike and to where the the terrain changes it's actually part of a much longer hike that people do which takes a little bit more coordination where you're really hiking to it's like backpacking type hiking or there's i guess there's also a way to do a really long day hike where you get to some point in the inland and then you have to have reserved seat on a bus to actually get back to like civilization but yeah we did the waterfall hike part and that that was just amazing Awesome. And then the Blue Lagoon is something everyone's heard about Iceland. Uh, was in the Rick Steves guidebook. So I really love Rick Steves. I always get, get his books whenever I'm in Europe. For Iceland, I read other people's blogs as well to get other ideas because especially Rick doesn't actually put a lot of hikes, actual hikes in his books, but he mentions a lot of other things. And one of the things he's talked about is just going to one of the community pools. So, you know, the Blue Lagoon is really, I mean, it's beautiful, It's but it's it's very touristy. And when you go to a community pool, like this is just like where where the locals go to the pools. And so it's the same like geothermal heated water. And they actually will often have like different pools with different temperatures and you can go there and relax. My husband actually really enjoyed that experience more. It almost feels like a cleaner experience. So everyone, you have to go in, you have to really fully shower, fully soap up and shower before you get in the pools. And then you go uh, to the pool area and there aren't people like, taking pictures everywhere. We went to one in the Reykjavik area, but actually more or like we drove out to one more in the you know suburb type stuff, not in the city. And it was super nice. It had water slides. It had an area where the water comes down and, and it gives you like a water massage. And it had several different pools with different temperatures. And then there was another pool that if you wanted to just swim laps, it goes from like cool to like warm. And yeah, it was just a really nice, relaxing experience. And actually, there was a view of Reykjavik below that we could see. And we were there at the end of the day when the sun's setting. And it was a very nice contrast to Blue Lagoon. And it really felt like more of an authentic Icelandic experience. Wow, that's awesome. And what, when were you in Iceland? What, what month? July and August. So my birthday is August 8th. So this was like my birthday trip. 
Oh, nice. And what, what was the temperature like usually, you know, in like when, when you were just uh, hike, going around Iceland? Yeah, I think it was a little cooler. It was probably like 60s and 70s. I don't think it ever got up to the 80s, even you though it was really, like the height of summer. You really need the geothermal water to really comfortably swim. I mean, because usually when it's 60 or 70s, it's not really swimming temperature. <laughs> yeah. I live in Vermont, so I know that we have a pond. And if it's 60s or 70s outside, that's not a time that I want to go swim in the pond. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I really like it hot. And so, I mean, they do have pools that, that were really at the higher temperature, like much higher than like hot tubs in the US. And so, you know, I really like sitting in that hot. And then they also have saunas there or at the community pool, they had saunas. Um, yeah, it's a blue lagoon. They also have a sauna. So really nice experience for sure. Awesome. Yeah, I did read that Icelandic people really take the the pools seriously. There's this list of etiquette of what what you're supposed to do. And by the way, blowing your nose in the pool is a big no no. Right. <laughs> I saw, specifically saw instructions about that. <laughs> Anything else? Any other highlights that you want to share? Yeah. So we went to this puffin sanctuary in the uh, northeast of Iceland, and I felt like it was definitely worthwhile to go all the way there. Partially, the drive itself was just gorgeous. So like you go up like a pass and like down to the mountains, and it was just like amazingly gorgeous. And then you, you know, kind of get to the end of the puffin sanctuary and they have this little house built so that you can go in and then, you know, use a little window so the puffins don't see you. So you can actually be somewhat close to the puffins. And there were like tons of puffins around. So we went to the Westerman Islands because we were told like that was a good place to see puffins. But I was really glad that we went to the puffin sanctuary because, I mean, we did see puffins in the Westerman Islands too, but they didn't have this like little blind house. And and so I'm an avid photographer as well. And so like I really got pictures like really right up and close with the puffins. Awesome. And they are really small. Having gone on puffin watches out of Maine, I, I'm like, this is not even worth it unless you can get really close or you have really good zoom lens or binoculars because they're pretty small. Yeah, exactly. So that's why it was like nice to have this little, and I mean, it was warmer in there and you could sit and you could, we could snag and, you know, we've probably had some snack foods with us and it was just really nice. And, and it wasn't crowded. There wasn't a lot of people there. So mm -hmm. as opposed to like some other places, especially on the South coast of Iceland, like that, that is where it was much more crowded and, and much more touristy. And I mean, there are beautiful sites there like Diamond Beach and it was gorgeous, but there's just a lot of people there. Whereas in Northern Iceland and on Western Iceland, there was a lot less people. Very nice. Yeah. I, and I think that's what appeals. That's what's going to appeal to me and my family because we really like going off the beaten path places. And it sounds like you really need about two weeks. I mean, of course, if you go to Iceland, you want to see Diamond Beach and you want to see all the cool places that everyone else wants to go see. But to get to some of these more off the beaten path places, it sounds like two weeks, about two weeks is a, is a nice amount of time. Yeah. Yeah, I think just to be able to drive around the whole ring road and not feel rushed, I, I would say you a minimum of 10 days, but really I think two weeks is, I really felt like we got to see everything I wanted to see. And oh, and horseback riding, I would definitely recommend booking horseback riding because the Icelandic horses, I mean, they call them horses, they're, they're kind of ponies, but <laughs> they call them horses out there. But they have a, a very smooth gait and it is like so much fun. And they are, like no other horses like can come into Iceland. So they're unique to Iceland. And, and it's another beautiful way to enjoy the scenery is by horseback. 
Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on and and chatting about money and travel and then sharing these amazing experiences that you had when you were doing your camper van trip in Iceland. Yeah, thanks for having me on. It's been lots of fun. I would love for you to just speak to the doctor who's listening and who's, you know, maybe thinking, wow, Dr. Lisa's living this amazing life or Dr. Whaley is living this cool life. But I, I feel like I have this dream inside of me, but I am, I, I'm just not quite there. You know, there's something holding me back. And I, I just, I know I want to live my best life, but I'm just, I'm just really not sure how to start. Can you, can you speak to that doctor? Yeah. So I think a lot of times we have to look at like, what is holding us back? Is it fear of losing something? Is it fear of losing who we are, the people that we're with? Is it fear of losing money? And have some self-compassion for that fear because that fear is just trying to protect you, right? So a lot of times, like when we have two competing things we want, but we don't know how to get there, the two competing things is our brain trying to protect us or trying to serve us in a different way. And, and just know that whatever your brain is offering you, you can decide, okay, brain, I understand that you're worried about this, but I'm going to take care of us. I'm not going to let us get destitute. I know that you're worried about doing this new thing that we've never done before, but you know we've done hard things before, especially if you're a physician listening to this podcast, like it's hard to become a physician, right? All the things that we've learned and done, if you can do that and become a physician, you can grow in so many different ways. And sometimes in just in seeking that growth is where you're going to find your best life. But of course, there's the part of your, the primitive part of your brain that just wants to be secure, seek comfort, expend the least amount of energy as possible. You can notice that and that's okay. Or if it's fear, it's like you can stay here, but you're going to sit in the backseat. You're not going to be driving with me. Awesome. So tell our listeners, how do they find you? Yeah. So since you're listening to podcast now, you can head over and look up the Grow Your Wealthy Mindset podcast. That is the podcast I host that releases new episodes every Wednesday. You can also find me on my website, growyourwealthymindset.com. I'm also on Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn. And feel free to DM me. I totally love hearing from people. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. We really appreciate you. And please go check out Dr. Elisa's podcast. There's a lot of of gems in there. Hey, thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed that episode, please share it with a friend and go on your favorite podcast app to give us a five-star rating and a review. It really helps us to get the word out there. Also, I am really excited to announce I've started a online Facebook community for physicians. Go and search for Dare to Dream Physician Travel. That's the name of the Facebook group. If you have trouble finding us, the link is also in the show notes. I hope to see you on the inside.